I didn't have to be a thinner version of myself in order to start doing the things I wanted to do. I could just go out and start doing it. And that doesn't mean it's not hard or that there isn't that distress because there absolutely was. And the reality is over time, it really made me feel a lot more true and authentic to myself, which is truly the goal I was was after. Welcome to Equip to Recover, where we explore the intersection of recovery stories and eating disorder science to show you that recovery is not only possible, it is so worth it. I'm Christina Safran, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by two incredible guests from the Equip family, Ali Duval and Kara Bohan. Ali is the Body Image Program Manager and the Senior Program Development Lead at Equip. She's a recovery advocate and a fat activist who uses her lived experience with eating disorder recovery and a fat body to help others on their healing journey. Kara is a clinical psychologist and researcher who has dedicated both her academic and professional careers to helping people with eating disorders. She's currently the Senior Vice President of Clinical Programs at Equip, and she helped develop the body image program that Allie now manages. Kara and Allie are both experts on eating disorder treatment and helping people heal from food and body image issues. And I'm so excited for you to listen in as Allie, Kara, and I discuss ways to strengthen, deepen, and navigate your recovery from an eating disorder. Welcome. It is so nice to have you both here. It is so fun to be here. Thanks for inviting us. <laughs> so I guess to start off, can you both please introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit more about, I shared briefly about your roles at Equip, but just give us a little bit more uh, background on, on what you do here at Equip. Yeah. So my name is Ali. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Senior Program Development Lead at Equip. And I actually started at Equip as a peer mentor, really leaning into my lived experience and also based on my body image intervention experience, started working with Kara on co-developing our body image program and what it is today, and then started really leaning into the body image program, which led me into even more development projects, really leaning into weight-inclusive care and how can we start shifting and challenging a lot of these systemic pressures that we have around how our bodies are supposed to look a certain way and the healthism that can really come up in there. Allie blows my mind all the time, and I just want to say that because, um, as she said, she started as a peer mentor and... I kind of recruited her to join me in um, building out our body image program because of some experience that she had working in a research lab um, as an undergrad where the research lab had done some of this same kind of work. And I heard that through the grapevine, asked if she would participate with me in developing this. And she is so strong in knowing and balancing both the research and our scientific understanding of how our brains work around body image with lived experience and real like humanness in in it. And um, so just want to say a little bit more about, you know, how Allie started at Equip in one role and then quickly, <laughs> quickly shifted roles um, at Equip based on some of her natural talents. So love that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, So yeah, so my role, I'm Senior Vice President of Clinical Programs and Clinical Psychologist by training. And really, my role, I think of as making sure that the work we are doing is working. And so that starts with making sure that the kinds of things we're doing with our patients and our families come from an understanding of what works, but then also not taking it for granted and 
tracking it over time and making sure that the outcomes look like what we want them to look and how we expect them to work, making sure that people's experiences line up with what we think they should be and uh, what we would hope that they would be. We want everyone to have a good experience. We want everyone to recover. We know it's possible and, you know, never want to be able to just you know, say, oh yeah, we're fine. I want to, you know, I'm always checking that to be sure that it's the truth. I absolutely love that. And yeah, a lot of our conversations center around, you know, I think a big tension in the field has been, do we disseminate what works or do we make existing treatments better? And, you know, we always come back to, we need to do both. Like there are some things that we really know work. And we also know that our best treatments don't work for the large, a lot of people and haven't been studied on the large diversity of eating disorder sufferers. And I think I'm so excited to get into the body image program because that's one great example where I was going through treatment and people were like, oh, body image, like that'll go away in five years or like never. (laughs) And it's so incredible the work that you all are doing to have real tangible impacts in the moment in treatment. Uh, But before we get to that, a little bit more history and background. So Ali, I'm going to start with you. What was, can you just tell us a little bit more about your experience coming to the realization that you had an eating disorder and your journey to recovery? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's definitely a long-ish journey because I went 10 years undiagnosed with an eating disorder that I I just didn't know I had because every medical provider or um, professional that I worked with, when I told them my symptoms and my experience, I was told, you need to lose weight and that needs to be your sole focus. And why haven't you lost weight by this point? And that started from when I was a really young kid and I grew up in a large body as a kid and that was seen as something that needed to shift right away. It was never a question of maybe this is how her body is and she's a growing child and engaging in a lot of really fun activities. I loved soccer and swimming and a lot of karaoke. My parents probably um, are enjoying some years without that for (laughs) now, Um, but there there was so much joy as a kid and I was also a large kid and there's nothing wrong with that, but I was constantly told that that was a problem and a problem that I needed to be responsible to solve. And that continued into my adolescence and also into my later teen years where I really developed even deeper eating disorder behaviors really rooted in restriction and not understanding really my relationship with myself and my body outside of this hope that one day I would be in a thinner version of myself. And that thinner version of me would be the person that people would want to talk to, the person that would get married, the person that would have a job, the person that would really love themselves finally. And because that was the narrative I told myself, that was the narrative I bought into and continually I continually tried to fuel to, um, or I guess not fuel in terms of food um, and connection with myself. And it really continued that way. And it got really out of hand going into college because I'm on my own now. This is my first time not having my parents involved, not having a structured weight loss program like Weight Watchers really a part of my life at that time. Because gosh, I think by then I had done Weight Watchers three times with the first time being at age 11 with doctor's permission. And so I really was trying to figure out what do, how do I do this independence thing? And I became really dysregulated to the point that I was staying up um, at night and not um, able to fall asleep. And then I was sleeping during the day and missing classes, which was so counter to who I am as a person who loves learning and really being in those kind of environments. And so that wasn't until I was a sophomore in college that I had an abnormal sight class and started learning about eating disorders from Dr. Anna Tao and her experience working with them. 
And seeing that they're not the stereotype of a thin cis white girl in high school, there's so many more people that are impacted by eating disorders with a variety of identities. And I just remember sitting in that classroom and having, gosh, probably like 12 light bulb moments because I, I finally felt like I understood what I had been experiencing forever. And so I reached out to her and was thankful to get in touch with a really wonderful therapist and dietitian team and started my recovery journey back in 2017. And so ever since then, really working on dismantling a lot of my internalized thoughts about myself and the internalized fat phobia that I had and really trying to build that liberation for myself and that freedom from from diet culture too. It's such an incredible journey and also so heartbreaking and common that it took you over a decade, not only being not diagnosed, but really prescribed an eating disorder for so many years, um, which we can get into. Carol, what about you? What inspired you to work professionally in the eating disorder field? And and how did you become interested in body image? Because I know you were doing some some neuroimaging research, which uh, we don't typically see the two of those together. So I'd love to hear more about that journey. Yeah, yeah. So my first exposure to eating disorders was in high school. Um, I went to an all-girls private school where a lot of my classmates uh, struggled with eating disorders. I was fortunate to actually not be one of them. And my best friend is um, is amongst um, those who have recovered from an eating disorder at this point. But um, at the time, I remember being a teenager and thinking, I don't get it. I don't understand because you know, I spent so much time at her house. Her family is awesome. I love her parents. I love her brothers. I love, you know, and, and I was in classes with her. She's smart. She gets good grades. I was her friend. I was like, I think she's got good friends. I'm one of them. I, you know, I'm like, she's got good friends. She's got good, like what happened? You know, what, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. And I want to figure it out. And, um, it really was this like teenage self that really started this decades long sense of curiosity of how, why does this happen to people and how do we stop it? Because it on face value, I didn't make sense to me and I couldn't figure it out. And so I went to college and became a psychology major and then went to grad school and got a PhD in clinical psychology. And along the way, have always been interested in eating disorders for this reason and really with this strong curiosity to, to figure it out. In terms of a body image and my neuroimaging and all that kind of stuff, I accidentally fell into neuroimaging, to be totally honest. Um, it was it was an accident. I wanted to study treatment. I wanted to understand how to help people. Um, and I ended up in a research group where neuroimaging was becoming like a big thing in the research field. And I thought, well, maybe actually it could give us some insights into why people do things that don't make sense because we can understand a little bit about what's going on neurologically. Um, and, and I think we did that to some extent and spending 15 years of my academic career doing neuroimaging, it felt like we knew enough to know these are brain-based illnesses. Yes. Check, check that box. We know it. And I felt like the incremental knowledge that we were gaining from subsequent studies wasn't enough for me personally, at least to feel like it was translating into something that was actionable. And so um, for me, the shift into neuroimaging was really for an understanding. And my shift out of neuroimaging was also kind of a shift for understanding and to see like we kind of reached our limit there. 
and that, that's not to say there's still people doing great work in neuroimaging field and I don't want them to stop. <laughs> but for me, it was the right, the right time to stop. Um, and then recalibrate a little bit. And so along, along the time in my career, my graduate mentor for my PhD was Eric Stice, who's a, a research clinical psychologist who in 1999 developed a uh, program called The Body Project, which is a dissonance-based um, treatment. We can uh, dig into what dissonance-based means, but um, go with me for a second. It's a dissonance-based method for um, challenging appearance ideals and the ways in which they influence us. And it's based on some of his other research that shows that body image and these uh, holding on to these appearance ideals is an early contributor to the development of eating disorders. And so the idea being, if we can challenge these um, internalized ideals effectively, then we could prevent the onset of eating disorders since it's an early factor in the development of an eating disorder. Now, note that I said he first developed the program in 1999, and here we are in 2023, and you know, it's not that everyone has gone through the program, and it's not that we have eradicated eating disorders and prevented all of them from occurring. And so there's still clearly so much to be done just because there's a program that has existed for a long time and has been well-researched. Actually, Christina, it goes back to your earlier point about, you know, we study the things, and then we disseminate the things, and that pipeline then slows us down so much where if we could disseminate and improve all at the same time, our achievements and what we can actually impact will be so much, so much bigger. So long story short, getting my PhD with Eric Stice while I was doing neuroimaging, I was also um, doing this work with him on this body image program over time. And so that, that has kind of coincided with my with my work. Well, I love that. Maybe we'll dig deeper there. And Ali, I'd love if you could use that, you know, brilliant ability, as Kara mentioned, to kind of marry the the research and the data and knowledge with the lived experience component. Talk a little bit more about what the kind of original uh, 1999 body image program was, and then how we've adapted that program um, here at Equip. Absolutely. Yeah. So the body project is almost as old as I am, which I think is a fun <laughs> fact to share. Um, and I think there's so many cool things about dissonance in general. So I want to start there. Dissonance to me is thinking about how as humans, we really want consistency. We want our beliefs, our actions, our values to all be in an alignment. And if they aren't, we feel really uncomfortable. So sometimes that can be if you act in a way that's against your values, you feel guilty or you feel shame or you feel distress. It could be maybe somebody presents you with new information that counters something you held before. You're now feeling conflicted. And so when we feel that dissonance, we don't like feeling uncomfortable. Nobody wants to feel that. And so we work on ways to remedy it. And the typical ways we remedy it are usually to reject it completely. So ignore the new information proceed as usual or to rationalize it. So maybe there's not as much of a conflict or we hear what this person's saying, but we can move on. And again, still proceeding as usual or the thing that takes a lot more time and energy and reflection usually too is shifting our actions and shifting our beliefs into this new understanding instead. And so that's our goal in our body image program is to help people see new information or a new path and then work and guide them on what does it look like to take actions to get to that new path and what does it feel like to try it on. And I think a lot of 
other body image programs can be well-intended, but also focus a lot more on everything you've been doing for your life is wrong. Like you have to do this, change this. Like everything has been so harmful for you, understandably, which is true. Do this instead. Where instead in our program, we talk about open questions. We do open discussions. We do activities that can really give people the space to find it themselves and feel empowered in that journey rather than feel like somebody is telling them, you need to go do this and change. Because then at that point, we're almost replacing one should with another. And then it never feels like you're really self-discovering. It feels like you're still being told to do something because someone says to. Can you give us some examples, either of you um, or both of you, of some of the activities, like what this looks like in action uh, at Equip? Yeah. I just, I know for me, so when I did the program myself, probably like, I don't know, six years ago now, there was the behavioral challenge where you think about something that you're currently avoiding or something you've never done that you want to do. And then in the next week, you do it twice, which when you're sitting in that call and they tell you that, or for me, it was in person at the time, talk about dissonance. You are feeling uncomfortable. You are feeling so distressed. Like, can I do this thing? I want to, I don't know. Um, And for me, that thing was overalls because I always wanted to wear overalls. I thought they were the coolest thing. So many pockets, which like women's clothing traditionally does not have pockets, just endless opportunities, truly. And I was so afraid to because I didn't have a thin body. I didn't have a flat stomach. So I was so worried about how people would perceive me. Is this even something I can buy? Can it be something I find in my size? So many questions. And so I just avoided it and boxed it up until I would unpack it as a thinner version of me. And I think that challenge, I bought overalls, I wore them twice, and I've never gone back since. I have probably way too many pairs of overalls now, but it it was one of those moments where I realized I felt a certain way. And instead of waiting for that feeling to change, I could take action and start feeling better before anything ended up actually coming to rescue that feeling, I guess. Um, For me, I think I didn't have to be a thinner version of myself in order to start doing the things I wanted to do. I could just go out and start doing it. And that doesn't mean it's not hard or that there isn't that distress because there absolutely was throughout the whole process, buying them, putting them on, wearing them out in public, all of that. And it showed me that over time, it really made me feel a lot more true and authentic to myself, which is truly the goal I was I was after. And we see that happen in so many different points in the body image program, which is it's just so fun to see people wear their hair up to school when that's something that they've been so anxious about. And they come to the next session saying, I never knew that I could do this. And now I do it with no problem and nobody said anything. Or even if they did, it didn't matter because I felt true to myself. And I, I don't know, I think that's a key piece too, is a lot of times we have this fear of what if people say something and that is usually met with, oh, people won't, they won't say anything. They're so focused on themselves. And that might be true. But I know for me as a fat person, the reality is a lot of people will say something. And so what do I do in that moment to still live as true to myself as possible and challenge what other people are saying or just go out and exist as resistance in this body, which is truly, I think, a big, a big feat here. I absolutely love that. And it actually reminds me, this is going a little bit off topic, but I wonder if it's something you can speak on. You you, uh, had commented probably on our our work Slack channel about, I 
think it was, you'll have to correct me, but maybe at one of your bridal showers, um, being in a pool, (laughs) in a bathing suit and having one of our colleagues, uh, younger daughters kind of comment on your body in, I I think it was a fairly neutral way and really using that as like a, a learning and teaching opportunity. I wonder if you can just share a little bit more about that and how like the, the the work of a program like the Body Image Program could get you and others to a place like that. Oh, totally. Well, and I think it also highlights the importance of having parents do a Body Image Program too. And that's something we offer at Equip with this as well, is it's not just having the people going through treatment do it, but also their support system because there's so much value in understanding your own relationship while supporting someone else. And I think the example you bring up is such a key point of why we want to do that because for, so in that example, um, the kiddo was looking at me and said, your belly is big, which is objectively to a three-year-old fact, my belly is big. That doesn't have to be a negative thing. And so a lot of times in that moment as the parent, which I am not, but I have observed it enough, will feel really distressed and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my kid just said that. That's so embarrassing. Like we need to get out of this situation as fast as possible which I totally hear that. And at the same time, for me as the person, that makes me feel almost like an, like an animal at a zoo where you're trying to like spectate, but then run away and you're afraid and fearful and makes me feel really isolated. And so instead of running away as fast as possible and making it feel like such a negative thing, what you can do in that space is say, isn't it so cool that all bodies are different? And the kid that you're talking about actually had read all bodies are cool. And so I brought that book up and they were like, yeah, bodies are cool. Bodies are beautiful. All of our bodies look different. Some are big, some are small. And so it's this neutral understanding of our existence, which just makes us be able to connect so much better as humans and not get caught up on these really cool pieces about our uniqueness instead. I absolutely love that. Kara, I see you wanting to chime in with something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about when Allie was first describing her experience with the overalls as like, was it distressing? Yeah, it was. It was really hard. And I think one of the things that doing this body image group, which is based on creating this dissonance, so dissonance is tension by definition, right? And that that's actually where the change happens. And so in the decades of research that have happened on this program, there have been studies that have looked at that tension Things when they do things that turn up that tension, or when they do things to turn down that tension, turning up the tension creates better effects. And so I always think about that. That when I hear stuff like the most powerful piece to Allie being the overalls, I've heard other people say there's another exercise we do that's called the mirror exercise, where you look at yourself in the mirror with as little clothing as you feel comfortable, um, if, naked if possible. But if that's not where you're at, then you know as little clothing as possible. Look at yourself in the mirror. And say, think of, you know, Allie, what's the number? 10, 15, 20? 15. And I know that because everyone says 15 is the biggest number I have ever seen when doing this exercise. (laughs) So 15 things, right? 15 things that you like about yourself that are 15 positive things about yourself while you are looking at yourself in a way where you would normally nitpick yourself. Normally we look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, oh, I don't like the wrinkles under my eyes. I don't like the way my stomach folds over. I don't like the way, you know, we usually look in the mirror, especially with little clothing in a negative way. So having to do this in a positive where I'm looking at myself, usually this is a whole negative experience and now I'm doing this and I have to think of 
15 positive things about myself, like while I'm looking at myself naked or with very little clothing is really, really hard. And yet when we say what was the most valuable thing about, you know, and they, they'll use that exercise comes up a lot as a really valuable exercise. And so I, I lean into that so much of thinking about the most effective parts is when we turn up the tension, when we increase that tension, if it's hard, it's working or it has the more, has more potential to work. And so when I hear these stories that Ali's sharing and, you know, when I think about this, that's like, it's that tension that is creating the change. But the goal is that ultimately that tension that you feel now will turn into the neutral situation or even potentially a joyful situation. But let's first just say to neutral where to where you can say, gosh, this makes me look fat, but fat is neutral. That is not a, that's not a negative. That's not a derogatory thing. That's not an insult. That's not anything to be negative. Initially, that's what it feels like because that's what we have been inundated with as messages for our whole life. And so it makes sense that in the beginning, there's this tension there. But if we can do this, we work through the tension, we sit with the tension, we get to a point where it's a neutral. It just is. And that's the end goal. Yeah. I also think a lot of it, and I can't help but talk about curiosity, especially because it's something we talk about a lot as one of our company values, but it's really getting curious with that tension instead of running from it. And so it's, I'm feeling discomfort. Okay, what's going on with that? What can I do to maybe challenge that? Or maybe I need to sit with it. Maybe it's not something I need to move away from. And how do we hold that space? Yeah, it's so rare that we have growth without the discomfort. It's a necessary part. And I love that you both brought up the the fact that we involve families. And I think one of the things that I so often hear is, well, if families have any of their own issues around food and body, they should not be involved in treatment. And I think our response is like, no, all the more reason they need to be involved in treatment. So I'd love if you could just comment on why why that is that we believe that and some of the incredible work that you've seen, the hard work, but the incredible, you know, transformational work of of doing this work with families. One of the early parts of the program that we do talks about the origins of the ideal and not just the origins for at the societal level, but where did you personally learn about it? Where did you, where did you learn that these appearance ideals to look a certain way, where did you learn it? And I think initially people will say things like media, advertising, TV, movies, et cetera. But when they think about where did they internalize it, it's often family and loved ones or grandparents or parents even. And sometimes, you know, it'll be very well-intentioned parents too, who are like, I don't want you, my lovely child who I love with all my heart to go through life suffering. So I'm going to try to help you by helping you conform to an ideal. And that sends this such a powerful message that the ideal is true and it is something to conform to. And you're getting that message from the people who love you the most. And that is almost even above and beyond any media that you might be exposed to is so powerful. You know, and when you hear the number of times when I've when I've heard, you know, yeah, my mom said lovely things about me, but she looked in her own mirror and criticized the way she looked. And so I saw like, yeah, she says I look beautiful, 
but I look like her and she's criticizing herself every day. And those messages are so strong. When we do this with parents, it's interesting that realization of both a sense of, okay, what is this? Yes, I got this from my own parents and gosh, I am a parent and what am I passing down? And that realization can be extremely powerful. We know there's actually a whole bunch of literature on how um, parents are much more likely to make changes for themselves if they think it's on behalf of their child. And so sometimes we can actually get effect that way by saying like, yeah, let's work on it for you because of how influential you are in your ch- on your children. To your point, Kara, about turning up the dissonance, another thing that we do is we have it over four weeks. And I think the transformation within those four weeks is complete magic. We call it the the body image program magic, because I, I think you see just how much someone's mind shift, mindset can shift over that time. And also just their awareness of what they want to shift and change to. We one example that comes to mind too is we have our the negative body talk challenge. So we'll say a negative statement off of a list after we talk about them a bit and have somebody in that moment challenge it. And there's so many moments where in the reflection point, parents will focus on, these are things I say to myself all the time. And I've never even thought about challenging them. I've never thought that they aren't a fact. And so being able to put words to it out loud in a space with other people that you've built, because at that point, it's in the third week, you built a connection with, there's that camaraderie around challenging these ideals and also recognizing that there are things that you have power to push back against and resist. And one of those things is the way that we talk to ourselves and the way we've been taught to talk to ourselves. And it doesn't have to be a shame thing either. And something that comes up a lot too is, I I use the quote a lot, that you might not be able to control your first thought, but you can your second and your first action. And I think that resonates with people because there can be that shame that comes up of, gosh, why am I still having this thought? I put in all this effort or I want to challenge it. I don't want this to be my first thought. But this is the world we live in. We live in a world that's rooted in white supremacy, rooted in diet culture and fat phobia. And so it makes sense that that's going to be what you're programmed to think right off the bat, even if you're challenging it or putting the work in to move away from it. And so instead of feeling shame and getting stuck in that spiral, noticing that that is my first thought. Now, what do I want my second one to be? What do I want to do? What's the action I want to do based on that? Oh, I love that you brought that up. And and yes, the non-shaming approach that you all take and we take with the body image program, because it's true. Like we are chipping away at changing this, you know, toxic culture of ours. But this is the world, un- unfortunately, that we all live in. And so really approaching it from like, this makes sense. It is not your fault. We all grew up swimming in the sea of diet culture. And what do we do to move forward? And I think it's really, you know, we talk about, you know, our best treatments, like not working for everybody and not being as effective as they can be. I think we talk about all the time how, not dealing with the diet culture and fat phobia has been such a huge barrier in eating disorder treatment because 
people enter the world back into this culture. And we need to equip them with the tools to continue to chip away at it. And I think the best way to do that is really equipping not only the individual, but their entire community and family system to do this work together because it's really hard work. And I love the action focus too. You know, I think about, um, Ali made the point earlier on about other body image programs that are a bit more educational around like, yeah, this is where the ideals come from and society is sending you these messages, but they're not true. And so so all this education and Ali made this point earlier um, about like replacing one set of shoulds with a new set of shoulds. And I think that that's where you get this, like you start to beat yourself up, like, okay, now I've had this education. I shouldn't be thinking this way, but I still do. And so replacing that like should and in terms of the thinking with changes in action. And so don't worry about how you should or shouldn't be thinking. Instead, let's talk about how you can act. And what's really cool is that actually persistent shifts in action end up actually resulting in shifts in thinking. That's the magic behind the scenes. Totally. Totally. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, Ali, I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about, there are a lot of different terms thrown around when we talk about body image, body positivity, body neutrality, fat acceptance. Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference between those terms and which which do you encourage folks to strive for? Yeah, I think there's so many, so many terms and thinking about how a lot of us, unfortunately, are in negative body image or have experienced that. And so that's think something we're all a little too familiar with around negative thoughts towards ourselves, creating um, actions or behaviors based on those thoughts that are pretty harmful for us. But we can really move into neutrality, which is recognizing that I have a body, I exist, but it's also the way that I connect with the world. And so it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It might not even be a positive thing at this point. It doesn't have to be something I love or I talk about how beautiful it is but it can just be something that is. And so I always say my body is my way of connecting with the world or my body is period. And that's it. And I think that can be a really helpful starting point for folks. It can also be an ending point. It can be a point that people come back to. I think that's the benefit for a lot of this is you're able to oscillate between different terms or concepts over time as your journey continues. So I think for me, I started with body neutrality as my way of getting out of negative body image because it gave me a space of an equal playing ground with myself where I could start approaching my body without that negativity attached. But then I also realized like, I don't know if I want to stay here forever. And for some people, it's really effective to stay in neutrality. And that can be a really helpful anchor and resting place. And for me, I was ready to kind of explore what does it mean to start feeling positive about myself? What does it mean to lean into fat liberation, which for me is recognizing that my body is fat and that's not a problem. It's something I can celebrate. I can celebrate my body at all sizes and I can wear clothes that make me feel really excited and it doesn't have to be something I hide from. Um, it can be something I enjoy and really focus on my my fat joy and showing what my life looks like as a fat person. And for me, that was huge. And I think there's definitely moments where I lean back on body neutrality too, because we live in a world where it's tough to focus on feeling positive all the time. Or I think some people can get pulled into a toxic positivity where they feel like 
I have to love myself. And if I don't love myself, then something's wrong. And we get back into that shoulds. But body neutrality can be that resting place of I acknowledge my body is here. I can explore my connection with it. And it can just be, it doesn't have to be anything. And then when I'm feeling comfortable and ready to kind of branch out again, that's where I can go back and look into fat liberation or fat acceptance or just body joy too, I think is another one that I love is focusing, focusing on the joy. Do you think there are any things that helped you get to the place of wanting to really embrace fat acceptance? Was it just time? Were there specific actions that you took or folks that you followed? I think following people in bodies that look like yours is key because I didn't know that I could even say the word fat until I started seeing other people do it. And then when I saw the show Shrill where they talked about it or when it's something that people are using, you realize maybe I want to try that on. Maybe I want to see how that fits for me. And there was moments where I tried it and I was like, nope, can't do it. I'm not ready for it. Because it was for me something that was used as an insult for so much of my childhood and growing up and even now. But it was really hard for me to unpack my relationship with the word fat. But it was also such a huge part in my recovery to realize that it's not a negative thing. And in fact, it can be an identity piece. And I'm okay with that, let alone I want to talk about it. I want to celebrate it. I don't want it to be something we're avoiding talking about because we're afraid of it. And I think speaking to dissonance, when I say the word fat, I can see the discomfort come up for folks because they're like, oh my gosh, that's a bad word. You can't say that. And the reality is it's not a bad word. And the more times we say it, the less power it has in that negativity realm and the more neutral it can be. But I think for me to your question is really following people that have my body was helpful. Also just slowly unpacking what does it mean to be in a fat body in recovery was really helpful because I knew that I remember there was a point I was probably like five months into treatment and I was like, we're doing all the things I'm getting an A plus in therapy because achiever love, love doing the things that I'm supposed to do in the way that I'm supposed to do them. And then at that point I was like, so when am I going to lose weight? I haven't lost weight yet. And I'm doing it the healthy way, right? Like I'm, I'm unpacking all the things I'm talking about it all. I'm learning all the skills, but my body is still the same. And my therapist really worked on why are you still attached to your body needing to be smaller? Do you understand what that kind of mindset is doing for you? Because you're doing all this incredible work and you still have that piece of you that's wanting to be smaller and wanting to shrink. And I think there's an element of understanding that might not always go away because of the world we live in. And at the same point, it's something we can continue to unpack and that's where I really started to question and really get curious around if my body stays the same, what does that mean for me? And it means a lot of really cool things. Last question for both of you. What is, I won't say the number one thing, but what is one powerful thing that someone can do to improve their body image? I'm going to steal Allie's answer. (laughs) I don't know if this is going to be Allie's answer, but um, it's, it's do the thing. Do, do the thing, do whatever it is. What is the thing that your body image feelings are holding you back from doing and go do it. It is the most powerful thing I think that you can do to challenge that. 
and don't do the thing once because just doing the thing once is going to feel scary and hard and it's not going to help you, but keep doing the thing. Totally. I think in a, in a similar vein, I think understanding where your body avoiding, where you are avoiding your body, where are you not wanting to connect with yourself and how can you start approaching your body instead? And so that might be by doing the thing or it might be by even just acknowledging that you are kind of feeling negative towards your body and wondering what that means and having that curiosity, but approaching it instead of avoiding it. It has been such a pleasure having you here, Kara and Allie. I have a few more quick questions before we wrap it up. Can you both finish the following statement with your first thought? Connection is? Absolutely vital and a key part in recovery. Connection is love. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, actually, but it was literally the first thing that came to my mind. What you should do? (laughs) Body image is? So much more complex than we realize. And I think when we start having such a deeper understanding of it outside of just how your body looks in a mirror, we can really start building a deeper connection with our body and finding what that relationship looks like for us. Body image is all the things, good, bad, everything in between. Diet culture is? Divisive because I think overall the goal is to keep us isolated from each other and constantly surveilling and policing our food and our bodies and even other people's bodies that can cause a a fracture in relationships and connection. Diet culture is harmful to everyone. No, No one is immune. Recovery is? Magic. I think there's so many, I'm getting married and I just can't stop thinking about how visualizing myself in my body, getting married and walking down the aisle is so cool and something I never thought could happen for me, for me and my body. And it recovery has just given me so many magical moments and it doesn't mean it's not hard, but the magic is so worth it. And that was going to be my answer was worth it. The number of people I have seen in recovery and that's the, every, every refrain is like, gosh, how, how wide did this open my life? Nobody regrets recovering. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners, especially those recovery warriors who are going into battle with their eating disorders every single day? I think I would say that you're not alone. And there are so many communities of people who want to support you in your journey and also know that no matter how hard the thoughts can be, there is freedom from them. There will be a moment where the thought is not the first thing that comes to your mind. Or maybe it is, and you can still have the power to choose that second one in that first action. And I was going to say, use your supports. Use supports in your life. And if you don't identify supports in your life, um, seek them out to find people. It doesn't have to be the people that you are with right now, but you know, finding the right people for you. Thank you both so much for your time today and for the incredible work you put out into the world and into Equip, helping so many folks uh, recover from their eating disorders and really revolutionizing the treatment field. I so appreciate what you do and the difference you're both making. It is needed. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for listening to Equip to Recover. Remember, recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. Find out more about Equip and how you can access treatment that works over at equip.health.
health.